Our scripture tonight comes from Luke chapter 11. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgave everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight, and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet, because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, we do ask that you would honor the reading of your word. Through the power of your spirit, it would penetrate our hearts. It would bear fruit. We thank you for this time that we're allowed to come together with our eternal family and to soak in your word, to sit at your feet and to hear from you. That's what we are here for, Jesus. No one wants to hear from me. We want to hear from you. And so I ask that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I recently received an email from one of my friends who's a missionary in India, and we emailed back and forth a good bit. And some of you know her. She started an orphanage over there about 10 years ago, and now she has about 45 kids, um, kids who the the government doesn't want, families don't want, and uh, she takes them. And and what she does there is truly remarkable. Um, And she's always asking me to bring a team over there. Um, but with every invitation comes the warning. She says, I want to warn you that if you do bring a team, they're likely to be frustrated because most teams that do come and try to help out are very frustrated. And uh, it's not because of the work you're asked to do. You know, it's not like you know, she says, you know, I want you to cleaning toilets or I want you cleaning up the streets or stuff like that. That's, that's not it. Um, 
She says that typically when American teams come there, they want to do those things. They want to work themselves to the bone. They want to work hard. They want to immediately set up a vacation Bible school. They want to start doing their street evangelism, start setting up medical clinics and doing all these things. And that's not what she wants or she needs them to do. She asks every group to spend eight hours a day in prayer. If you would spend eight hours, your first eight hours praying, asking the Lord what he wants you to do if he wants you to do anything besides pray. Uh, because the, the, the spiritual forces there are so dark and there is such oppression there that just doing things isn't going to make a dent. It's going to help out at all in that community. What, what she needs is a spiritual breakthrough. What they need is to hear from the Lord. And she said teams have a hard time with this because they feel like they're wasting time. She said they, come, they come in, they're like eight hours of prayer. You know, I came all this way and you want me to, to pray? And it's because usually, typically, we're Marthas, which we looked, like, we looked at last week. We are doers. We are people who want to always have this activity, always be serving Jesus in this capacity. We're not very good Marys, ones who sit at the feet of Jesus, learning from Him. We see that as a waste of time. You know, last week we looked at the story of Mary and Martha and what this taught us about prayer. I hope it was helpful this Thanksgiving. Uh, Martha, she was busy with all of her activity and all of her serving. There are all these things that she had to do, and she told herself that and she was serving Jesus, but she really wasn't. She was just serving herself, and that's why she was so frustrated. And then he had Mary, who just sat at the feet of Jesus. Mary, you know, we saw the results of this at Later in her life, she wasted twenty to $40,000 worth of perfume at the feet of Jesus. She also was the only one who understood that Jesus came to die. None of the disciples got it. Nobody else got it. She alone got it because she sat at his feet and she listened. And so how do we get a prayer life like Mary's? What's the secret in order for us to become Mary-like prayers? Um, Jesus teaches us in the very verses we just read. Um, Luke puts the Lord's Prayer, or what should better be known as the Disciples' Prayer. He puts it right after the story of Mary and Martha because he wants you to see those two things as linked. And, and just a little you know, Luke tidbit for you. Luke often, he, he'll write a familiar story, but he truncates it. Like the Lord's Prayer here is a lot shorter than you find in the other Gospels which were written earlier. And when he does that, the reason he doesn't just leave it out, he wants to put it in, but he wants you to see it in a different light. He wants you to see it as attached to what goes before it and what, what's after it. And that's why he truncates it so you don't focus so much on it, but you, you tie it into the story before and you tie it into the story afterwards. And so he wants you to see the Lord's Prayer in light of Mary and Martha. Let's look at chapter 11. It begins by describing how Jesus was praying in a certain place. And apparently this was a very common thing for Jesus, that he would spend hours in prayer some mornings or perhaps every morning. And the disciples, they marveled at this and they said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray like you pray? Now, for me, this is really curious that the disciples would ask this. Um, especially if you look at the disciples and where they were in their ministry and where they were in life. They were doing some amazing things. It kind of looked like they had arrived. 
I mean, they, they had just got back from this missionary journey in which they were casting out demons. They were healing sick people. They were preaching uh, just the, the, the gospel with power and authority. They were mightily being used by God. Which is usually why people pray is in order that they can be used like that. They were already being used like that, but then they saw Mary pray. And they saw Jesus pray. And they realized, we don't have that. We're doing things. We're doing some great things. But when it comes to prayer like that, we're missing out. And so they asked God to teach us, to teach them. You know, they had probably been seeing God as nothing more, I would say, than their boss at this point. You know, you, you go to a boss and you have a meeting and you, you get your assignments. They give you certain authority to do certain things. Um, you exchange some information, what's going on, fill in the details about what needs to take place, and then you leave and you're better prepared for your day. You can make more progress in your day. Um, and, and we kind of see... God as our boss, and I'm sure the disciples saw God as their boss, but they looked at Jesus, and that's not what they saw. Jesus didn't go off to pray just so he could come back and do better miracles, or he can have a better schedule. When Jesus went to pray, something happened to him. There was a vitality and a joy that happened to Jesus that he brought back with him. There was this intimacy that they saw, and they're like, that's what we want. Teach us, Jesus, how we can get that. And Jesus, it says that the very first thing that Jesus said when learning how to pray, he said, when you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Father. And this is astounding. I know we, we've grown so familiar, you know, saying the Lord's Prayer growing up. Probably from when we were little children, we learned to pray and say, Father. And we just kind of jump over that. But this, really slow down. This is something astounding that Jesus says here, that we can call God Father. At this time, nobody addressed God as Father. No one. Uh, you, you think, you look through the Old Testament, all 39 books in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father only 14 times. Never as the Father of an individual. It's always as the father of Israel. And so he might be the father of Israel, but he's not the father of Abraham. You won't find that. Nobody addresses God as father in the Old Testament. What Jesus is saying here is absolutely radical. It's completely new to these people. And he says, you are to pray. The very start of your prayer is you're to orient yourselves towards God like a child does to their father. You know, being a child is the most unconditional of all relationships, even more than marriage. Um, you know, if, uh, if Natalie, who's four, calls out at two in the morning, and she does sometimes, and daddy, daddy, and I'm always like, ah, oh, I didn't call mama, daddy, you know, and I'll, I'll go in there, and she's like, I want some water, I'm thirsty. 
I will go and I will get her water. Now, she is capable of getting water herself. She's four. She does it all during the day. But for some reason, at night, children want parents to do everything. And I will get it for her. Now, if Lauren said, hey, Joel, could you get me some water? I'd, I'd pretend to be asleep. <laughs> and then if she asked again, I was like, well, can't you get it yourself? I mean, is there a reason I have to go? Is, are your legs not working? Something wrong? You know, but a child, that's the most unconditional relationship there is. You know, just a couple of days ago, Madly, we're playing out in the backyard, and she gets this plastic sword. It's a hard plastic sword, and I'm just looking over this way, and she comes up to me, and as hard as she can, she swings it, and she knocks my right knee. And so I just fall down, and I am, I'm reminding myself I'm a pastor and, and trying not to scare her with things that come out of my mouth. And, uh, and afterwards, I'll say something like, hey, Natalie, dear, um, that's what we had the foam swords for. Plastic ones can hurt, okay? Do you understand that? And, and I'm very gracious to her. If one of you came up in my backyard and just whacked me in the knee, I, I would pick you up, throw you through a wall or the fence or something like that. I would not have the grace to you that I have to a child. But Natalie could just look up at me and be like, what? You know what? And she's totally loved and totally accepted in that moment. Being a child-father relationship is the most unconditional of all relationships. And Jesus says that the key to prayer, to understanding how you relate to God, is that you call God Father. You are in the most unconditional of all relationships. God is your Father. We do not address God as our judge who art in heaven, or your honor, or master, or omnipotent creator in heaven. We address him as Father. A very intimate term. Because our relationship with him is completely secure. You don't have to perform to get your father's affection. You don't have to do anything to get your father's affection. You're born. Therefore, he loves you. He is affectionate towards you. He is gracious towards you. Not because of anything you have done. And just like our relationship with Christ, there's nothing that you do, nothing that you perform in which God goes, that's great, I'm going to be more affectionate towards you now. There's nothing. It's the merit of Christ, not your works, in which you can stand before him as a child. And you have to remind yourself, you have to intentionally pause, orient yourselves. Father, Father, you are my Father. That's the starting point for prayer. Jesus explains this a little further by telling a story about prayer. Look at verse 5. He says, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, <clears throat> this is a story about a rude neighbor coming over and waking up an entire family with a simple request. That's, that's what this is about. It's a, it's a, a, a story about a rude neighbor. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to look at this rude neighbor and see that's how you're supposed to pray. 
is like this. And I probably should do a little note. This is a parable, which is different than an allegory. A parable is one, one point. The point is how you're supposed to pray, not how God responds to your prayers. Don't see in this neighbor how God responds to you. No, the point is, hey, this is how you talk to God. You bug him. You bother him. You're a rude neighbor to him. You're persistent. Picture this scene from the neighbor's perspective. Your bed asleep with your family and the homes in were one room and all the families slept in one bed. They only would have one bed. And so all the families asleep in one bed and, and you hear this knock on the door and so you immediately sit up and you're like, who is it? Like, hey, it's a neighbor. It's your neighbor, you know, next to you. You're thinking, what's wrong? You know, what's wrong? Something's wrong. Did, did your wife die? Did, is she sick? What can I do? Because nobody would interrupt you in the middle of the night. And he's like, no, dude, I need some bread. You're like, what? Yeah, three loaves. Can you get me three loaves of bread? Like, what? You woke me up for bread? Yeah, go back to bed. You're going to wake up my family. He keeps bothering, not over an emergency, but just over bread. Now, for those of you who don't have kids, some of this story is lost on you, but let me tell you that getting kids to bed and to sleep is a big deal. When they're asleep, you want them to stay asleep. And if somebody wakes up your kids, you're ticked. If our cat comes in and starts meowing, wakes up the cat, wakes up the kids, I pick up the cat, I throw the cat. Sorry, PETA people. You know, I, I, the, the cat's fine. They land on all four. She lands on all four feet. Go. You know, I, I can remember in, uh, when I was in college ministry at 11 o'clock one night, you know, finally got, you know, kids to bed. Lauren and I are there and ding dong. Somebody just rings their doorbell 11 o'clock at night. No lights on. Come down and it's just two college kids. Hey, you want to do something? Yeah, I want to go to bed. There's some other things I'd like to do. Um, it's the reason I'm out of college ministry. That's what's going on here. J- Jesus gives the, the edited for TV version about what the neighbor says when he's like, hey, will you quit bothering me? But you would get angry. And yet the guy keeps going. He doesn't have that filter that says, oh gosh, this probably was a bad idea. He keeps going and he keeps asking and he keeps knocking. Jesus says, that's how you pray. That's exactly how you pray. No other religion asks you to pray like that. You know, other religions say, no, no, no. Be polite. Be on your best behavior. Treat God with a kind of formal, distant respect. And Jesus says, no, bother God. Bother Him. And that's not too strong of a word. When you look at verse Eight, the word impudence, it can actually be translated shameless persistence. One translation I came across translated it as rudeness or bold shamelessness. And when we pray, we're to have this bold shamelessness. Now, only children really have a bold shamelessness. No neighbor's really going to do this, but children do this all of the time. I mean, they're not shy. They have no shame in what they ask for. 
And they constantly keep asking and asking and asking. You know, Daddy, can we go to the zoo? Daddy, can I have a snack? You know, Daddy, will you buy this for me? Daddy, will you play with me? Daddy, you know, when do we have to go to bed? It's always, they're always asking, always pleading with you with all these requests. And they're shameless about it. You know, if you're trying to read, it doesn't matter. They're going to ask you. If you're trying to eat, it doesn't matter. They're going to ask you. If you're doing some work, it doesn't matter. They're going to ask you. There's a shamelessness, a boldness to it because they're a child and you're their father. And it is the most secure of all relationships. Jesus says, pray like that. You know, one thing I've noticed about my children is they cannot tell the difference between a ridiculous request and a good one. I mean, we'll have, Daddy, can I have a snack? And five seconds later, it'll be like, Daddy, can we go to New York City this week? You know, it's just, whoa, okay. The, the, well, one's a really big request, one's a little request. They don't have any idea. They don't know it's a good request or a bad request. They just simply ask, and they trust that you as their father can filter through it. And it also doesn't hinder my child that when she asks for something, Daddy, can I have a cookie right now? We're like, well, you've already had cookies. Why don't you have an apple slice? Here you go. It doesn't stop her from asking again. And again, even though I did not give her what she requested, it's not going to stop her from asking because she's a child. This is how we are supposed to approach God. We don't see him as our boss. If he was our boss and we went to him with a request time and time again, and every time our boss said, well, I hear your idea, but we're going to do this. I hear your idea, but we're going to do this. Or, no, you know, actually, that's not a good request. We wouldn't go knocking on his door or her door anymore. But we do it to a father. And this shamelessness, it culminates in this one request. Look at verse 10. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Would father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So Jesus says you're a child. You can ask your father anything. Go for it. Boldness. Persistence. Ask him anything. And you know what? He'll give you anything. He'll even give you His Holy Spirit kind of comes out of left field there. I mean, he doesn't say, hey, you can ask anything, he will give you whatever you want. He doesn't say, ask for the world. Ask for that job. He says, the greatest thing that you can ask the Lord for, your Father for, is His Holy Spirit. Hasn't even been mentioned up to this point. But Jesus, He's leading up to this. He's leading up to this, the greatest thing that you can ask. Now, Jesus, he waited to tell his disciples about this prayer request because he wanted them to understand what it takes to ask for the Holy Spirit. He wanted them to see the difference between a Mary and a Martha. Mary asked for the Spirit of God, which is his presence, to sit in his presence. Martha 
seeks the Holy Spirit just to do something. Galatians 4, 6 says that God has sent His Spirit into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Romans 8.15 says that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so we ask for God's spirit that we might know God more. And the more we know God, the more we want to ask of his spirit. Uh, This is a merry request. And Jesus says that you're continually to ask for this. You're, You're to be persistent in asking for this. But you're to do more than just ask. It says you are to ask... You are to seek, and you are to knock. If Jesus just wanted you to ask for his spirit, he would say, hey, just ask, I'll give you my spirit. But he says, no, you are to ask, you are to seek, and you are to knock. Which means there is this continual, passionate pursuit. And we can ask somebody of something if, if their presence is right next to us. Hey, would you pass me the salt? Sure, here it is. Right there, you, you have this great sense of God's presence, and sometimes you have that. Other times it's more of seeking. You're like, God, I don't feel you. God, I don't see you at work. But you ask anyway, God, but give me your spirit. I don't see you, but I'm asking. And other times you are knocking. You're like, God, I do know you're right here, but I don't see you. I don't hear you. And so I'm going to keep knocking and I'm going to keep pounding until you finally answer me. You're to ask and you're to seek and you're to knock. You've probably experienced all those things in your pursuit of God. Be relentless. You you know, I I want to give my children gifts. Um, When we go to the store, you know, we're going down the toy aisle, which Lauren always says is a tragic mistake, but I really go so I can look at the toys. Um, Not necessarily so my children can, but they they always point at something like, Daddy, I want that. Daddy, I want that. And so they ask for it. Can I have that? I never give them that. I never like, you know, otherwise you'd be giving them everything. I wait. Do they really want this? When they wake up in the morning, are they going to ask for that, you know, special glittery Barbie again? And the next morning, are they going to ask for it again? Are they going to continually ask, do they really want this? Because if they just ask and I give it to them, it's just going to collect dust on a shelf. I need to know, do they really want this? But all the while, I really want to give it to them. But I'm not going to because they would just trample it and they would not use it. And God is the same way. He says, I want to give you my Holy Spirit. I long to give you my Holy Spirit. But you got to do more than just ask. This is the greatest request in the world. Do you understand that? Ask, seek, knock. Don't stop. God wants to know if you really want Him. You want to be in his presence that much. You know, years ago, I came across a sermon by Jonathan Edwards. Um, It had been hidden away in Yale's private library, and they finally published it. And it had a pretty profound impact on me, and I've talked about this before. It's a sermon on Luke chapter 11 and seeking God's spirit. And, And Jonathan Edwards, he says this, it says that often in the asking of God's <laughs> Spirit in our lives, because of the way we ask it, we actually deny ourselves our request. 
Often in the asking of God's Spirit in our lives, because of the way we ask it, we are actually denying ourselves the request. And what he is saying is that we can ask God for His Spirit, but we can do it so flippantly, so casually, without any persistence and passion, that just by the way we ask it, we show the worth of it in our eyes. And our request is denied. His presence to us needs to be worth more than the things that always consume our prayers, our health, our security, our relationships. All these things that we're constantly bringing up and and just think back to this past week, the things that have consumed your prayer life, that's what has value in your eyes. And then we casually will mention, and God, give us your spirit because, you know, your presence is really what I'm after. God says, by the way you ask, shows you do not know what it is worth and your request is denied. Jesus knew the worth and he died to give us that gift. You know, every time... In Scripture, that Jesus prays, he calls God Father every time, except for one. When Jesus is on the cross, he does not say, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? When he's on the cross, he doesn't use that term of affection. He uses, My God, my God. Because at that point, Jesus is feeling the absence of God's presence so that we might feel in abundance, God's presence. He is no longer feeling the joyful presence of God's Spirit at that point. He took on the wrath of God so that we might have the joyful presence of God's Spirit. He is no longer claiming this special privilege of my Father, my Father. He is taking on the wrath so that we might know the privilege of calling God my Father, my Father. Jesus knew the worth of when we ask for his Holy Spirit. And he gave his own body and he poured his own blood for it. And that's what we're going to, going to celebrate tonight. When we look at this table and we partake of these elements, the bread and the wine, we think of the greatest gift that God wants to give us and that is <clears throat> his presence. That's a Mary request. That's a Jesus request. His presence his spirit. And we look at the cost to make that available.